This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 56. They got Edwin, with special guest Brian Heminger, recorded on January 2nd, 2017. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. As always with your hosts, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, happy to be writing 2017 on the checks that I don't actually have to write because I don't <laughs> write checks, but I'm glad it's a new year. Checks? What are those? Are those like really slow debit cards? Or I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> uh, and also joining us today is uh, our lead prospect writer. I don't... I, should, I really should do official titles, but we'll, we'll call you lead prospect writer, uh, Brian Heminger. Brian, how are you doing? I am doing terrific and appreciate the invi- invite onto the show tonight. No problem. As we'll get to later, uh, the main reason it kind of ties in now is that we're doing, if everybody didn't notice, our prospect, our live prospect votes for the year, our top prospect lists are coming up here. And then tomorrow we're going to debut a new show with Brian on Facebook, which is just basically just answering prospect questions because Jason and I... As much as I watch them and still do the daily things, I don't know that much about them. And Jason is self-professed, doesn't follow Prospect that much either. But we always get a lot of Prospect questions, so I thought it'd be good to do kind of a show on its own. So that's what that'll be tomorrow. So thanks for joining us on this, too. Oh, it's going to be a blast. I eat, <laughs> sleep, and breathe Prospects right now. So <laughs> I, there aren't many people that checked every single box score of every single minor league team for the Indians in 2016. So... <laughs> did you always do that before or did that start this year when you were doing like the minor league recaps and uh, just I, like, I, turned into a habit? I didn't always used to do it. It started because I think like I was always drawn to Andrew Kinsman stuff on Let's Go Tribe. And then I would I would check those prospect articles every day when he was doing them. Like and he would update them at like three in the morning and I it was a really bad night owl at the time. And I would be there as he was updating them live and he thought I was just a crazy person and I'd just <laughs> be cool. talking to him in the comments and, and he'd be like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Andrew's great. It's as hard as Jason tried. We couldn't keep him. Mm-hmm. We tried to pry him into let's go try. <laughs> he had to go. I think he was shout out to Andrew's prospect work because yeah, he really put a lot of effort into it, into something that, uh, was never going to be my thing. And, and Ryan did a good job with it, uh, but kind of like a good, this needs to be done, so I'm going to do it. Andrew was the first person, I think, who kind of uh, had a little more passion for it. And then mm-hmm. Brian, as you just said, you know, has picked up on that. And so I think that's something Let's Go Tribe has been a lot better at in the last couple of years than it was before. It was prospect stuff. I know at least Ryan did the, uh, what was it called? Like Prospects Worth Knowing or Prospects Prospects is better, yeah, which, which yeah. was good. Um, yeah, that was really. Yeah, I feel like it's 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 been elevated a lot lately. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully I'll be bringing a lot of interviews this year. So yeah, yeah that, that was one of my favorite things last year too. Yeah, I don't know how you I, got all of those, but those are really cool. Yeah, I uh, well, some of them you can do just by emailing back and forth with some of the the media people, like handlers for each team, and uh, I'm going to do some traveling this year and see if I can get a lot of uh, in person interviews. The only one I got in person last year was uh, Adam Pletko. I got I talked to him in the dugout right before a Clippers game, oh, cool. which, was, which was really cool. Who was the one where you basically he said he was bored on Twitter and you're like, hey, do you want to do an interview for a website? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was uh, Joe uh, Wyatt. Uh, oh, Jonas Wyatt. He, yeah, Jonas Wyatt. He had been uh, suffered from. Uh, he just had Tommy John surgery and he was bored. And I was like, hey, you want to talk to me? And he's like, okay. <laughs> 
I like to remind Usually. Jason that right after he left, um, Francisco Lindor, like Under Armour called. I'm like, do you want to interview Francisco Lindor? I'm like, sure, yeah. And that was, I think, a week after Jason like took a hiatus <laughs> after he gave the site over. Real cool, Under Armour, real cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting for that one. <laughs> so let's get right into it. Um, not a ton of news, obviously, because it's the end of December and nobody wants to do anything, but... It's, as Jason was saying before the podcast started, it feels like a long time ago now, but the Indians agreed to a deal with Edwin Encarnacion. Uh, three years, $65 million, which in case you're still confused how that money breaks down, because I was for a while, uh, it's three years, $60 million he gets on the deal no matter what. And then there's a fourth option for $20 million. If the Indians don't take it and they do the buyout, it's $5 million. So it's reported as three years, $65 million, because at the very least, that's what he's going to get. Otherwise, it's going to be four years, $80 million. But I can't imagine. We'll talk about that, but I can't imagine anything is taking that. Um, and according to Paul Hoynes this week, he's supposed to come in and take his physical finally and he'll make it official. That's the last hang up, apparently, is if he'd fail that physical, they wouldn't do the deal. But that's probably not going to happen, although I just probably jinxed that, it. But That would be devastating. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Brian, are you excited about uh, – I hope you're excited about Edwin Encarnacion coming to the Indians. I'm ecstatic about Edwin Encarnacion. Um, on Christmas Day, we were watching uh, – Sports Time Ohio for some reason, and they were replaying the Naquin inside the park game. Oh, yeah. And it was the whole game, and I'd forgotten some of the stuff in it. But Encarnacion comes up in like the eighth inning, and I know he's going to strike out or something. He's going to get out. And <laughs> but they show his stats, and this is mid August, and he was already better than Napoli. Yeah. His entire season. He was at like 34 home runs and like 108 RBIs in August. And then if you factor in that he strikes out like 60 times less, <laughs> oh my goodness. Like I, I, I just, I, I, I'm like a teenage girl. Like I just shaking and Ooh, I can't wait to see Edwin Encarnacion in an Indian's uniform. Yeah. Get, getting Napoli was kind of like, okay, we have a right-handed power bet. I guess this might be neat, but Edwin Encarnacion is like a legitimate, holy cow. He's really good. He could be really good for at least like two of these years. Like it could be incredible. Jason, are you a teenage girl over this deal too? Like we are. I'm a teenage girl over a lot of things. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's a great setting for the Indians in that, uh, you know, they're already a good team, but someone who could take over Napoli's role and do what probably a better job of it. Uh, and three year deal isn't bad. Uh, you know, they're, I still don't think the Indians are financially in a position to sign someone as good as Encarnacion, who's a lot younger you know, to like a seven or eight year deal. Um, so this was a good situation for them. The market for Encarnacion didn't develop quite as well as expected, which played right into the tribe's hands. Uh, so yeah, I think it was a great setting for them. I would point out, uh, you know, Brian mentioned the strikeouts, which are significantly lower than Napoli's, but his strikeout rate did spike quite a bit this mm -hmm. year, which if you look at his numbers from 2012 to 2015, pretty incredible. Well, consistency, um, way more consistent than you usually see from a player. And then his numbers dipped a little bit uh, in 2016. Not his power, not his walk rate, um, but his strikeout rate shot up from about 15% to about 20%. Um, so hopefully that's not a sign that his bat's slowing down. I mean, at his age, I wouldn't be surprised if he's mildly declining. Uh, but if he's mildly declining, this should work out really well for the Indians. Is this the case where, because I know like Steamer, I'm pretty sure they have them going, just, um, regressing quite a bit. Like they're just slamming the regress button there. Um, is he kind of just defying progression systems right now, or is it going to happen? Is he going to crash before this contract is over, probably? 
Well, I think almost certainly before the contract is over. Like you said, I mean, if, if he can be pretty close to the player he's been for another couple of years, uh, and then if he were you know, to fall off more significantly in the third year, that would still, I think, be a big success for the Indians. Um, again, I mean, th- there's room for a little decline in his numbers for him still to be well worth this contract. Yeah, and as you mentioned, we've it's only a four-year deal. It's not a three-year deal with the option for the fourth. I don't expect the Indians to pick up that fourth option unless he just rakes for the first three years. Then it would be worth it, but you probably don't need to worry about that fourth option. I'm expecting two really good years, and then we'll see what happens in that third. But I'm definitely not expecting a, a Nick Swisher part two, which maybe some people might be worried about. Yeah, I'm glad the Indians weren't like fans and saying, well, Swisher and Bourne didn't work out, so we can't send anybody long-term anymore. They don't. That's not how front offices think. That's how mm-hmm. fans think, so I'm glad for that. But let's turn that into a thing. Let's say, I know this is kind of, um, we didn't have this plan, so maybe you don't know off the top of your head, but how good would Encarnacion have to be for them to pick up that option? It, I think it's amazing they got that in the first place, because I, I imagine there's almost no way they take it, but would he have to have like three more years of like 42 home runs and his strikeouts stay low and... Is there any chance the Indians take that no matter how good he is? I think they, they take it. not take the risk? I think they take it if his strikeouts don't spike like through the roof. If he stays at 20% or lower through this whole contract, then they're not worried about him just going up there and being a an all-or-nothing guy. Then I think, why not? I mean, right now, they have some really good power-hitting guys on the rise in the minor system, but you don't need... I mean, you can still just have that mashing DH, and if he's mashing after year th- at year three, then why not take the fourth one? But yeah, he's going I to mean, have to mash the third. I don't think 2017 and 2018 matter at all for the option year. I think it all just comes down to how he does in the third year. I mean, if he's fairly healthy in the third year uh, and is still an above-average hitter, uh, sure. I mean, it, you know— it, at that point, it's you know it's do you want him on a, a one year deal at that point? And so, but yeah, I think by 2019 he'll have slowed down enough that, like you guys, I don't expect that they will exercise the option. But I don't think it's out of the question. So we can use this as kind of a segue into the next uh, section here. But do you think this contract is going to um, what do I want to say? Going to make it more difficult to do other things like maybe sign Francisco Lindor to a long extension or re-sign Carlos Santana or all these other core players that are getting older, is this going to really stop them from doing anything like that? I think it's obviously going to stop them from signing any big free agents for a couple of years, but what about retaining the guys they have? Do you think they went into this planning for it and knowing they can still do it with Encarnacion or is this kind of shorting themselves in the future to get the wins now? The only player I think it really, whose future I think it has really any impact on in terms of it would be Santana. You know, Santana is going into his last year. Uh, I think, probably you know he's gone after this year which saddens me because i love santana um but otherwise no i don't think it does anything to affect their ability to sign guys to uh, you know long-term extensions um be- because you're somewhere in in your paperwork you're planning money for those guys anyway um so no like you said i don't i don't think it i think it means we're, we're the indians we're not going to see them add any other big free agents uh, but I don't think it really affects anyone but Santana, who's you know, in terms of guys already with the team. Yeah, yeah and, and another thing you do have to factor in is if the Indians are as good as I think they're going to be over the next couple years, then you know attendance should be way up, especially as this season after 
them making the World Series in Game 7 and everything. Um, I think they're going to be bringing in a lot more money, too. So maybe that can also help with uh, giving some extensions out there, too. But I definitely think that Lindor and Ramirez are... They're working on it right now on just trying to figure out what what, what they could make work for both guys. But uh, as uh, Jason said, I completely agree. Santana's gone, especially with a couple of those sluggers they have on the rise, like Nelly Rodriguez and and Bobby Bradley. There, there's really no room for Santana, especially at, with the, the amount of money he's probably going to be commanding after this season. Yeah, and before we dive completely into Lindor extension talk, I want to put on a tinfoil hat and put on a tinfoil shin guards and carry a tinfoil shield and say maybe the Indians knew that Michael Brantley isn't completely healthy. That's why they're okay with giving Encarnacion this money to kind of cancel out his bat and they know they won't pick up his option. Is that too tinfoil hatty, or is that maybe a possibility, Jason? Uh, I, mean, I, think it's a, I think it's a possibility, <laughs> but I don't think Brantley's option... Again, I, just, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's the determining factor. In other words, I think it's completely... I think the Indians are certainly aware of the possibility they might not pick up Brantley's option, but I don't think that's the reason they felt comfortable going out and giving Encarnacion this contract. Yeah, yeah I think I think they're just in win now mode. They've got so much talent. They're they have Andrew Miller for two more years. Why not just go for it? And Encarnacion was the guy to get. That was that filled the biggest hole that they had from a free agency that they'd lost. Yeah, isn't that a great feeling too? I mean, I'm all for <sighs> making like smart. Um, like Rajai Davis and Mike Dabley signings, but it's awesome to like do this big, it looks like it's going to work at least for a couple of years kind of signing thing. I mean, we could be the Reds right now and talking about that, but <laughs> we get to talk about it, the Indians winning it, things. It feels like the 90s a little bit. Like you've got that great core that you build up. Uh, maybe you got a little lucky with, and then boom, you just add in a couple of those, you know, high powered uh, free agents to, to supplement the team. And, and I think Edwin Encarnacion is really going to supplement this team. Yep. So Jason, uh, I want to talk about a post you did earlier this week. I can't even remember what it was. This whole like between Christmas and New Year's, it's a blur and just like nothing makes sense and there's no such thing as days. But at one point you wrote about the idea of Francisco Lindor taking an extension. Uh, after a lot of words and a lot of thought, it was a really great post. You you've eventually came down to six years, $55 million, uh, which would probably get them. So just talk about that more, because I know we've we've had people ask the podcast specifically about signing Lindor to an extension. Do you think there's any chance of this happening? And do you just want to go into detail about how you came to that number? Uh, well, I definitely think there's a chance of it happening. The Indians have been arguably the most aggressive team in signing players to extensions, uh, and for good reason, because they know they're not going to be in the market to keep a lot of those guys once they hit free agency. So being able to lock them up for a couple of years beyond free agency well in advance, uh, you know, there's there's risk involved there, but the Indians have shown that's a risk they're willing to take. So I'm certain, uh, you know, the Indians are looking into that. That's what they did with Santana. That's what they did with Brantley, with Kipnis, with Jan Gomes, with Kluber, with Carrasco, uh, and, you know, on a much, much smaller scale with guys like Josh Tomlin. So I definitely think they're looking into it. And, of course, then it just comes down to how much interest is there from the player, um, in terms of how I came up with the numbers, like, so Lindor's under control through 2021 right now. Um, and so the Indians can do absolutely nothing, but pay, they can pay him the league minimum the next couple of years. And then he'll be in arbitration for 2019, 20 and 21. Uh, and I estimated through research and looking into similar players, arbitration payments that he'd cost about $40 million for those five years. If they just go year to year. Uh, and then at the end of those five years, then you're looking at someone who probably costs, 
if he keeps playing about how he played last year, you're looking at someone who's going to get a 200, $250 million contract, um, which the Indians are not going to be the team who gives out that contract. So that's the logic behind signing him. Um, in terms of coming up with the numbers, I just tried to find other players in recent years who who signed contracts at the same point. Um, Paul Goldschmidt's the best player who signed a contract like that. Um, and there aren't that many guys. So you don't have a huge number of uh, other cases to look at. But looking at the other cases, and I've done this before with before Kluber signed and before Kipnis signed, uh, and I think I have a pretty good track record with being close to it. I was criticized with for Kluber with, oh, you're way low. He would never agree to a deal like that. You're way off on this. And then he actually signed for a little less uh, than I estimated. So <laughs> I stand by my numbers. And, yeah, I think six years, $55 million, uh, with a team option that would bring it to seven years, $70 million, is about what it would take. And that would give the Indians a couple extra years of team control. Um, whether it happens or not, I don't know. When I posted it, a couple of people said, like, oh, let's wait. I want the Indians to wait one more year and just kind of see. The thing is, every year you wait, the more expensive the deal gets, of course, because he's that much closer to free agency and the big payday. So you don't get the same discount. So I'd love to see the Indians get it done right now. Yeah, I think anecdotally, like fans, they they undervalue the contract of, I mean, am I getting it backwards here? Like big free agents, they think they'll sign for less. And like young players, they think, oh, they're a star. They should sign for a ton of money, even on under team control. But that last part is the big part, is that they're under team control. The team doesn't have to pay them. So they usually make a lot less than fans think they're worth, which is just kind of how it works. Because if you're like Lindor's age, if you're 22, and you're staring like $60 million in the face, it's kind of hard to say no, considering like any day you could break your leg and arm and neck and the same horrific injury and be done. Yeah, well, and the and the other thing people said was, well, no, the Indians should go for more years than that. They should like sign him for like 10 years, but I don't think Lindor would do that. I think right. an extra couple years has sort of been like the norm for contracts like this. And, and Lindor, because he came up relatively young, he could sign the hypothetical deal uh, I mentioned, play through the full seven years of it, uh, and he'd still be 29 years old when he hit free agency. So he'd still be in line for a huge payday because he'd be young enough that teams would be willing to go you know, seven or eight years on him. And again, this is all dependent on him continuing to play well, of course. Um, but I don't think he'd sign like a 10-year deal because at that point, then you're pushing him, you know, he's 32 and now he's not going to get that massive deal. So the amount you'd have to give him extra in those eighth, ninth, and ten years, uh, I don't think would really be a discount in anything at that point. So I don't think the ten-year deal is is realistic. Uh, I don't think a five-year deal makes any sense because it doesn't extend your the, the Indians' control of him. So I think you know six years with an option, a team option for the seventh is the sweet spot. No, I think I have the the solution. <laughs> Maybe ten year is too much. Well, it's it's not that it's too much. It's digging into those years, and then he's worried about uh, what kind of deal he'd get when he ends it. How about a fifteen year deal? <laughs> and then you know he's thirty seven when he's done, and then we just make it like two hundred fifty million or something crazy. <laughs> fifteen well, years. You're, you're getting into the Giancarlo Stanton deal. <laughs> His was three hundred. You can't say he's not worth it. Just saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, lifetime contract works for me. Uh, yeah. I'd be, I'd be yeah. fascinated to know what number it would take uh, for him to sign a contract. You know, through 
I don't know, his age, you know, 40 season or something like that. Uh, I'd be fascinated to know what, what kind of number it would take to do something like that. Yeah, me too. It'd be a, it'd be a lot, I'm sure. I wouldn't it take... Was, I mean, this is like a side tangent. I really... The Indians, unless I'm forgetting someone, I don't think in my life the Indians have had like an actual career Indians player. You know, not, not counting guys who played for like four or five years and then, you know, sort of burned out. I don't think there's been a guy with like a 10-plus year career who was on the Indians his whole career. It'd be fun. Uh, I'd say the closest is Nagy. Yeah, because he, he played like you know, three months, I think, not with Indians. So you're right. I think he's the closest, but I don't think there is one. Yeah, all, all the stars of the 90s, they all went other places at some point. And it's not to say that's just like an Indians thing. I don't, you know, there just aren't that many players like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Yankees had a whole bunch of them sort of at once. Uh, you know, the Astros had Bagwell and Biggio basically at the same time. You know, Chipper Jones, Todd Helton, Barry, there have been other ones. Uh but not a ton, and it'd be neat for the Indians to have one. I, I don't think they will, I, but I'd be fascinated to know what dollar number it would take for Lindor to say, like, yep, I will always be here. And then at some point, he would fade, and Indians fans would be like, oh, my God, why are we stuck with Francisco for another four years? <laughs> you know that happened, of course. Yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> okay, and make it your team option year 14 and 15. <laughs> there we go. Smooth it out a little bit. <laughs> so to take your other tangent on another tangent, I think it's kind of – I don't know, funny, sad, or ironic that Mark Shapiro, he had to dismantle the 90s Indians teams in the early 2000s, and now he has to do the same thing with the Blue Jays. He's kind of like unfairly having, he just comes in at those times when they have to do it. I don't think he really has a choice, and he's just stuck with it both times. But but he made something here, and maybe he will in Toronto. It's just, it's like seeing the exact same reactions in Toronto as we saw in Cleveland for so long about him. I, don't know, I think he knows what he's doing. It's just like he yeah, comes in at a fortunate Encarnacion a pretty fair deal. Yeah, <laughs> the same deal he got without the option. Yeah. That was all him and his agent, I think. Yep. Unless he just really didn't want to go back for some reason. I don't know. But I can't imagine I, that. Was I, I do remember reading something about, like, the Incarnacion was sort of rubbed the wrong way about something about how the deal, the offer was made or something like that. Now, I don't know if that's Shapiro or, you know, who that falls on or if there's even anything to it. But I did hear, and I don't have a well, source to, to quote or a link to provide or anything, but that he was sort of turned off by things. I'm going to blame Jose Batista. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm sure he was rubbed the wrong way by the fact that they signed Morales like within a couple days of him turning down that offer. Oh yeah, I mean, you, part, part of you got to know if you turn it down, they've got to move on and do something. But mm-hmm. it but seems like he was quickly. hoping they would counter something. Yeah, and people compared to the John Lester situation a couple of years ago, but he was just completely lowballed with his. This was just something different entirely. I think I don't think he was lowballed at all, and he didn't just kind of get screwed out because of the market too. If it was like. I don't know. For as good as he is, I think the Indians got him on a great deal. I don't think there's any way you can argue that. But it was kind of unfortunate for him, just the way the market dried up all of a sudden. And good for the Indians. <laughs> so maybe he'll be great for three more years and he can have another big deal. I don't know. But this was probably his one shot at a big deal. And he got a decent one, I think, but a deal for the Indians. Yeah. We don't need any shed any tears for Edwin Encarnacion's <laughs> financial outlook. Yeah, I think he'll be okay. He'll make it. So, Brian, I want to put you on the ultimate spot for a minute because I didn't mention this before. And. You're just going to have to guess in the dark here, but pick one prospect that in a couple years, the Indians should consider giving him like a life or not a lifetime contract, but this kind of like early extension for Lindor. Who's going to be so good when they first come up that they might me, require it. I think it's going to be Tristan McKenzie. I yeah. really do. I think that's the one you keep your eye on. Uh, the, 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 the way that this kid is just blowing everyone away. Um, 
at every level he's played so far. I mean, it is it's eye popping. I'm I'm extremely excited about Tristan McKenzie. I think uh, I I don't think he's quite going to beat CC Sabathia's age when he makes his Indians debut, but I think he's going to be close. And I think he, he's not going to look back once he gets up here either. <laughs> the selfish side of me is glad that he's going up the rank because I can watch him on MLB TV easier. Like the couple games I saw of him in Lake County were oh, amazing. Yeah. So when I'm, he gets to like double A and triple A and we can see him every start, it's going to be incredible. And he, I mean, he's already stretched out so that he can pitch six plus innings uh, for this, this upcoming season. And he's, I don't think he's even 20 years old yet, or maybe he's, yeah, yeah I think he's still 19. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this kid is special. It looks like his curveball, his changeup, his fastball. I mean, he is, he looks really, really good. I think the Indians got really lucky with that one. So he's going to be one that gets the, at least we'll be talking about it in a couple of years, you think? Yeah. I mean, he's going to be the one that's going to be pushing some of our uh, pitchers for playing time, our starters, for sure. Like, people are going to be, like, calling for him whenever, like, a veteran has a bad game. <laughs> that never happens, Brian. People are always so <laughs> level-headed about prospects when they should come up. They always want them to be patient and take their time and develop them every time, right? <laughs> so from that let's go um to our next section here we're gonna do our top five prospects for 2017 because like i said before right now we're running our community vote you can find them every morning at 10 they're gonna post and you can vote all the way through the night tonight's first one it's already done francisco mejia won by quite a lot i was a little surprised by that um he beat bradley zimmer out for the number one prospect um brian were you shocked at all by that that mejia with his big hit streak overtook last year's number one prospect um, I'm not too shocked. I mean, Baseball America came out and they had Mejia number one over Zimmer and Zimmer as he did have a good season last year. People, you know, talking like he regressed and did terrible. The only thing that he really had an issue with last year were the strikeouts, which skyrocketed in the toughest transition that you make uh, at double AA, A, triple A. And uh, but yeah, Mejia with him being number one in Baseball America and then with the 50 game hit streak, I mean, all eyes were on Mejia. Um, like he was by far the the prospect that got the most traction with us last season. And yeah, I wasn't surprised at all that the that our readers would would vote for him over Zimmer. Yep. What about you, Jason? Were you surprised at all with that? No, I mean both because of this, you know, the season he had, and also, I mean, you know, baseball America and stuff like that. But also the season he had. My experience in having been around for a few of these is let's go tribe readers tend to be more swayed by the previous season uh than you know other outlets uh and so the, you know the, the the fact that other outlets have them really really close and Mejia had the season that got as much attention as it did I expected him uh to come out on top in the L, in the LGT voting yep so do you want to go first with your top five Brian or Brian Jason uh no no i don't <laughs> <laughs> i figured we would let brian go last but how about we let brian go first instead and then we'll just give our i'll go first i got no problem with that <laughs> uh number one i'll go uh mejia i'm fine with that i think personally he might be now that moncada is probably going to be uh starting at for the white Sox. uh i think mejia might be the best catching prospect in all of baseball uh, especially offensively i mean he's got the cannon arm he's got uh, the hitting, he's got the the eye at the plate, uh, low strikeout rate. I mean, everything seems to be looking really good for him. We'll, we'll, we'll learn a lot this year with him jumping up to double A, because, again, that is the toughest transition in all of minor league baseball. 
but I think he's going to pass it with flying colors. But wouldn't shock me to see a slow start. I mean, he did take two seasons, or he repeated this past year at, at single A. People might forget that. But, yeah, I think Mejia's number one for me. Uh, number two, this might surprise people. I'm going McKenzie. I, I really am so high on this kid. It's, it's a That's lot more on, on potential. <laughs> I mean, Zimmer is, I think, a really great prospect. I have him at three. But with McKenzie, I am so high on this kid. I really think the world of him. Uh, I mean, the fact that he moved up from low A to single A last season and his numbers got way better, way better, like strikeout rate, walk rate. The only thing that he had a little trouble with was he got a little tired. He gave up some runs in like the fourth and fifth innings of all his starts. But innings one through three, I mean, he just mowed people down. Uh, And he's like two or three years younger than his uh, age, than his the average age. I mean, it's just crazy. So I got... Yeah, so it's Mejia, McKenzie, Zimmer, and then I have Yandy Diaz, number four, and then number five, Bobby Bradley. Wow, Diaz is pretty high. Yeah, I, that- I am a big fan of Diaz. I, I really think he makes the Indians' uh, starting roster out of spring training this year. I mean, he is major league ready. Uh, there is no player in the entire Indian system that is major league ready offensively as Yandy Diaz. I mean, the guy has one of the best eyes in all the minor leagues. Um, his contact rate is through the roof. His power is improving. I really, and he can play all three outfield positions plus third base and second base. I think he's going to be uh, kind of like the Jose Ramirez, maybe a little Jose Ramirez light from 2016. I think he has the potential to do that. Wow, so it's not just the fact that he's almost ready. It's that he's so good and he just happens to almost be ready to come up. It, yeah. It gives him a little boost, but that's good. So, Jason, would you rather go second or last? <laughs> I'll squeeze mine in the middle. I'm not going to provide okay. the commentary because, I mean, it's mo- largely the same guys, and I don't have well-thought-out reasons for, for having <laughs> slightly different order. Um, I'll stick with Zimmer at top, um, which – even as I'm saying that, I don't feel like it means I think he's like a fantastic prospect. Uh, I had Clint Frazier ahead of him. Um, but I guess for me, I still think of Zimmer as the top guy, just a little ahead of then Mejia at number two. Um, and then, uh, like Brian, I share his excitement about Tristan McKenzie. Uh, I'm a little terrified that he's still listed as 6'5", 165 pounds, which <laughs> he is looks not it right height to, to weight ratio. <laughs> uh, so I hope we put the little meat on his bones. That's uh, like me in college skinny, which does not feel like, but I guess that's also like Chris Sale. So I guess you can look at it that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I really like McKenzie too and would have him at number three. Uh, and then I would have uh, Bradley at number four. And I'd have Brady Aiken uh, at number five. And I know, you know, he's a, a little more up in the air um, and didn't do much this season. Uh, but just coming off Tommy John surgery, I still view him as someone with uh, the potential to be a really good player. Yeah, I have him. So um, before I get to mine, Brian, was there a reason you left him out of your top five, Brady Aiken? Um, for me, uh, I, I probably have him at six, six or seven. Uh, no, no real reason. Just the main thing was, um, the question marks with the Tommy John and then his numbers weren't that good this year. Uh, I know it's his return year. You don't expect it to go out there and light the world on fire. And he did get better when they promoted him to low A. So I'm, I'm happy for that. And if he starts the season at single A, I think that would be great. And then we'll, we'll see how he performs and he could definitely rise in mine, but mine's more on 
I need to see him uh, have a little bit more success against uh, some some hitters. Right now, he's not fooling a lot of guys yet. So I, I dropped him a little bit, but the potential is definitely still there. Yeah, for sure. So mine, as unexciting as it is, is basically Jason's in a different order. <laughs> Slightly different order. Like him, I have Bradley Zimmer number one. I think you're both crazy, though. I still think he's a great prospect. I believe in White Lightning. I mean, uh, the power is still there, obviously. He strikes out a ton. I think... I hope he'll work on that. Uh, he had the hand injury late in the season. He, when he was getting into the rhythm, he had the injury and it kind of slowed him down. And there isn't a whole lot of positive reports on his defense, but what's there is really good. So I'm I'm kind of leaning towards those. Maybe that's being optimistic, but I've seen him play defense in person and I've seen a bunch of games. I think he's better than some of these negative reports have coming out. Even if he's not in center field, like one of the corners, I still think he's a good prospect there. Uh, number two, Tristan McKenzie, because like you, Brian, he's a, I'm just tired. It's so fun to watch. Uh, I can't wait to see him go up higher. Um, he's just completely unhittable in everything I've seen. I'm hoping to see a game by him in person soon when he plays. Like, basically, I have to drive two hours to see a minor league game. So I'm hoping he starts soon around there so I can go see him in person because that's got to be something to witness. Uh, Francisco Mejia, number three. The reason I don't have him higher is just I want to see him do that season again without the 50-game hit streak. I know it's kind of bad to just discount the whole thing because of that, which I'm not doing, but... I have him a lot higher because he did so well this year, but I just want to see him do it again for another year. Then I will be truly, extremely excited about Mejia. Uh, number four, Brady Aiken. Maybe high, I don't know, but um, like you said, he did better when he got promoted. I didn't really believe in those early reports that he looked terrible. The Indians were worried. Um, I think those were exaggerated. He's coming back from Tommy John. I think he's still got the potential there. The ceiling isn't damaged at all. He could still get there, I think. The only problem is his floor is like <sighs> rock bottom. If he, If there is a lot of problems going on with him, He's going to be a busted prospect. But right now, I don't think it's worth worrying about yet. Mm-hmm. And then five, Bobby Bradley. And I even kind of struggled to put him at five. I mean, I like the power, but I still don't. I don't know. There's still just so many strikeouts with him. He just seems like a guy who's going to hit the ball really hard and maybe not do a whole lot else. I could be wrong, yeah. but I, I mean, I still I, have I a number five. I could see him being a repeat of uh, Mike Napoli. Yeah. Except maybe having a little more power, potentially. Or maybe even a lot more power. Cause and and he, his, his walk rate is really good. <laughs> that is one thing yeah. to, be, to keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, but that's the one I I considered having somebody else, but nobody else. I like I considered Diaz too, but like Bradley, I just squeezed them in there. But it's like a five, if five, almost six kind of thing. But still, a really good power prospect, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so another kind of minor league thing I want to talk to you about, and Jason too. Um, Nelly Rodriguez didn't get picked in the Rule Five draft. He mm-hmm. was out there, nothing. He wasn't taken. Any idea why? Uh, for me, I think uh, the reason he didn't get taken is the position. You know. Uh, if he gets taken, he has to stay on a 40 man or 25 man roster all season. And there's not a lot of, uh, utility with a, a first base exclusive guy. So you, I mean, there's a lot of teams that keep an extra guy on the roster. Not many of them keep an extra first base only guy on the roster. So that, yeah. that's my guess. And they didn't feel that he would be able to start for him. So, um, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I, I still think Nelly Rodriguez is very good. And I expect him to make his debut at some point with the Indians this year. Uh, maybe somebody with an injury or it could just wait until the the call-ups. But, yeah, I think that uh, that's that's the main reason. So do you think they didn't uh, protect him because they didn't think he'd be taken? Or they just were okay with him being taken because he's kind of redundant with Bobby Bradley in there? Although Bradley, of course, is older or younger. But so like, were they worried about they weren't worried about him being taken or they just didn't think he would be? I think they didn't think he'd be taken. Um um, the so other like thing, a calculated risk they, they felt the same way I'm sure about Anthony Santander and then he did get taken which I was <laughs> not happy about 
I, I thought he had the best offensive season of any Indian in uh, any level last year. And and now he's on the, the Orioles where and last year they proved that they are extremely stubborn and they because they drafted a guy and they just left him on the bench the whole season <laughs> and kept him. No so, team loves the rule five draft like the Orioles. Yeah. So they, they <laughs> drafted two guys, though, so they have to keep them both. And if Santander's shoulder gets better and they, they take him off the DL, then he has to be on there for a, a good amount ne- this season. So we'll see what happens with that. I really hope we get Santander back. I, I think that kid has a lot of potential. I think it was Andrew Kinsman in the comments. He was um, driving the point home that that's the reason they drafted him. Like people were saying they're surprised they took him because he's injured, but that's why you take that player because well, he can what be I heard, the They didn't know he was injured when they drafted him. <laughs> I'm, that's I'm not very joking. Orioles. <laughs> that's very Orioles. I read something that they did not know he was hurt, but they're like, eh, well, we got him now. <laughs> How do you not know that? Are they just like the Orioles, man? Like they have the worst, the worst minor league system. Like they, <laughs> uh, when they drafted him, the Orioles, Santander was number 30 in the Indian system. Now, obviously he would have gone up when they updated baseball Americas or not baseball America, but the, the MLB prospectus rankings, he probably would have jumped into the, uh, at least 10 spots, I would think, after his season. Uh, but even without them doing the major update based on his most recent season, uh, he jumped up from 30 in the Indians to number 15 in the <laughs> Orioles rankings. And I'm sure he's, he would go even higher when they update it. So that, that's how bad the Orioles system is, though. Like it's, It is devoid of major talent, um, except at the very, very tip-top. That is truly the most Orioles thing I've ever heard. Drafting a player in the Rule 5 draft. I can't yep. forget. I don't remember who wrote it, but somebody wrote a thing about just like how much they love the Rule Five draft, like more than anybody on the team. They draft so many players every year, and yeah, I, <laughs> they I didn't thought it know was crazy because I mean he's never even played Double A, and now he's going to be on their major league roster, and he has to stay there. And <laughs> and if he is hurt, and they keep him on the the sixty day DL most of the season, he has to play a hundred uh, days on spend a hundred days on the twenty five man roster next season. So it's not like they can just stash him and then they keep him. Oh, so there, there is a little bit of uh, stuff that they can't just cheat the system. Hmm. So, Jason, any other thoughts on prospects or lists or Rule 5 drafts or the stupid Orioles? Or <laughs> I mean, it's funny to laugh at them, but at the same time, like, what's the penalty for returning a player? Like $50,000 yep. or something? Yeah. So, I don't know. Grab a bunch of guys, send most of them back. <laughs> You're out a quarter of a million dollars. Every once in a while, you find someone who works. I say good on Baltimore. Why, well, the why problem I'm researching something with a $50,000 tag that's nothing to a major league team. Just grab some guys who've got some numbers. You can look at the medical reports later. The Orioles always look at the medical reports later. <laughs> you keep talking I, like really, that, you're going to get hired by the Orioles. I'm really rooting for the Orioles to bring back Trumbo, so that way it crowds uh, their outfield and just their bench a little more. And then hopefully if they get to the choice where they have to decide which prospect they have to send back. They would send back the one that's not healthy. So <laughs> that, that's my dream is that the Orioles, because uh, they do have two outfield guys they drafted in the, the rule fives. So I'm hoping that Santander being so inexperienced right now, uh, they send him back because I really think that they could do some damage to him. If uh, like just working with their system, they do not seem to have a system that's great at developing talent. <laughs> So I don't want him over there for that long. So let's go to social media questions. Uh, every Sunday or every Monday, usually around noon, I'll ask on Twitter and Facebook for questions. If you see that, you can um, come up, ask, do whatever. 
Um, you can email us, message us. I don't care. People in the comments now, live on Facebook, you can ask us something. If you're listening to the podcast, obviously, I mean, you can ask. Just say it out loud. We won't answer, but we get weird looks. Um, but yeah, so let's answer some questions. So first, we're going to go to Merritt Rolfing, who's one of our writers, if you didn't know. Um, he's been on the podcast a couple times before. I'm sure he will be in the future. But he wanted to know, should the Indians change their name back to the Broncos? Uh, if you guys didn't see, I think it was Cleveland Scene Magazine that their whole um, like redesign the tribe thing. They had a whole bunch of submissions. Some were good, some were bad. What about the Broncho? I don't know. Is that just Broncos or is it Bronchos? There's an H in there. Yeah, I, I have no idea what the H is. <laughs> I have pretty much pronounced Broncos just with like the weird old-timey spelling of the era. So what is that and even from? I'm against going back to the name Broncos. I'm all in favor of every major league team getting some weird old-timey sort of misspelled version of its name, though. <laughs> Oh, the Broncos is pretty cool looking. It's just blue and white, which I like. Oh, they've worn those uniforms before. As long as they don't ever wear them. It's the one with like the collar. Those awful uniforms. As long as they don't wear those, I'm okay with being... I don't care. Just don't wear the collared uniforms. Well, <laughs> when they had Napoli, they could have briefly become the Cleveland Naps again. There you go. <laughs> Are you, uh, nobody's mentioned that before. I don't know why. That seemed like it'd be so obvious, but I never heard anybody mention that. But yeah, they could have been the Naps. Just for a short time, and then... Never again. <laughs> were they the Naps after Napla Joy left at all? Or was it just when he was there? I think it was just when he was there. Like, just because he was, you know, such a big deal and he was such a good player. And I, I think it was when he was coaching them, too. Like, it wasn't yeah. just when he was on the team. It was, he was the player manager. Well, and team names were a lot more fluid back then. And, yeah. like, it's not like teams even had their team name on their jersey. It was usually just the city and the name was just, like, what, the newspapers referred to them or fans. Uh, a lot of teams, their names bounced around a lot back then. Uh, mm -hmm. but there yeah. were a lot of teams named the Giants way back in the day. Right. <laughs> <But> <laughs> they, you, I've been rewatching Ken Burns baseball and like teams from like 19, 1890 to like 1915, like half of them were the Giants. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cleveland I was was on to not stick with the name after he left. 1914 was his last season with the team, and then 1915 is when they became Indians. Uh, in, okay. And even before they were Naps and Broncos, they were the, the Cleveland Blues for their first year of existence. In what about the Spiders? That was before Spiders that. were like a, a separate franchise. Oh, okay. Oh, really? I know they were really bad. Really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they went under for being like the worst team in professional baseball history. Yep. Well, like the owner went to another team and just took all the players, didn't he? I think he went to the White Sox or something. Yeah, he owned like that was the big thing that the St. Louis team. Anyway, yeah, it's yeah. a good story that we could do like a whole thing on someone who like Yo Daddy Wags knows a lot about it. Would be a good person to talk to. Yeah. But uh, I, I want Chief Wahoo gone, uh, and I understand like the problems with having any sort of logo while the team name is Indians, and at the same time, I sort of don't want them to change the name just because. For sort of the same stupid reasons that a lot of people want to keep sheep <laughs> Yeah. Just like, oh, then it would be like a different team, which is dumb. Uh, if they do change names, I don't, I, I don't want them to go back to one of the earlier ones. Yeah. yeah but I, also, I don't mind them getting rid of Chief Wahoo, but I think you can keep Indians. I mean, I think the like the name Indians is actually now like a recognized term yeah, for Native yeah. Americans, so it's not like it's you know super offensive or anything. I mean, it's silly. Because there's, they thought they were from India, but it's it's a recognized term. It's not like we're calling them Redskins. So right, who would do that? 
Or so the anyway. savages or something. <laughs> so Mayor also asked another question. Um, he wanted to know, when will the Indians have an all-time winning record against the Tigers, if ever? Um, so if you want a literal answer, according to baseball reference, the Indians are 1,071 and 1,112 against the Tigers. So it's a 41 games that to make up. And so this season they were 14 and four against the Tigers. So if they have 4.1 more seasons like this, then they'll at least tie. There's your completely literal answer. But do you guys think they ever will actually? That's, 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 just, a, that's just a literal hypothetical way things could play out. <laughs> literal answer makes it sound like that's what's going to happen. Well, no, I mean, yeah. They, you're right. They need to make up 41 games. Yeah, that's the literal part. Yes. Right. Uh, I don't know. Forty-one's a lot to make up. I'd be interested to know what the Indians' like best five-year record against the Tigers, you know, at any given time is. Uh, I feel like I won't say never, but if we're if we talk again in ten years, I don't think they'll have made up those forty-one games. I would say sometime like the late nineties, like from ninety-eight or ninety-nine to like two thousand three or two thousand four, they did really good because those were the god-awful Tigers teams that were, like, setting loss records in a season and stuff, right? Those are the best. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm thinking that was the time that the, that they had the best stretch. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm sure from, like, 94 to 2004, for, like, an 11-year stretch, yeah. they really, the, the Indians were probably, like, 150 games back at that point and made a lot mm-hmm. of it up. Yeah, I'm sure uh, they did. Uh, but the Tigers were half-decent in the mid-'90s. Like, they had, you know, Travis Fryman and... Alan Trammell and those guys. I wonder how close the Indians were like six years ago before the Tigers had the really oh, good stretch. Yeah. It was probably pretty close for a little while. It'd be interesting, and if I had the time, which I don't, someone could put it together, but just for like for the teams they've played the most to look at the rise and fall of their winning percentage. I did the same thing. I went to baseball reference and looked things up. Uh, the Indians... Their highest win total is against the Twins slash Senators. They've beaten them 1,127 times. Uh, but their best winning percentage against any team they've played, you know, at least a couple hundred times, is against the Orioles. Uh, they're 1,125 and 860 against the Orioles. So they are uh, 265 games up on Baltimore. I don't think Baltimore... I- I sure hope Baltimore doesn't make up 265 games on them in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope not. That'd be that'd be an awful stretch of like a decade. <laughs> and after all the uh, smack talking we do on Baltimore, even if it's just in fun, but that'd be kind of like karma, I think. It'd, it'd be all our fault if it happened. <laughs> so next question, uh, Douglas L. Srod on Facebook. He wants to know, I'm curious about the outfield situation. Is what's present enough? Is the answer in the farm somewhere? Will Rajai pay for $5? I don't think Rajai will pay for $5. I wish because I'd love to have him back for $5. Even a little. Maybe a little more than $5. But so just basically to summarize real quick, I'll let you guys answer. So what's present is Amante Naquin, Chisenhall, Geyer, Brantley maybe? Ramirez maybe? <laughs> that's that's basically what we have in the outfield right now. So so Brian, is there anything in the farm like that can help? We're talking like immediately. That would That would mean the Indians don't have to sign anybody that kind uh, of immediate help. Yeah, I know the answer. Uh, obviously, <laughs> uh, Yandy Diaz can play any outfield position and he's a good, solid right-handed bat. So I wouldn't, and he's been playing some center field, a lot of center field lately in the, the Venezuelan league where he's currently batting like 380 through the whole season. I mean, just mashing over there. And uh, 
So I think Yandy Diaz can come in immediately and give people a spell or say somebody's struggling. He might just be able to take over center field. Uh, or if Michael Brantley's hurt, he could play left field. So I, I definitely think Yandy can help. I expect Zimmer to, to be playing at some point this year once he, you know, maybe makes some adjustments with his strikeout rate. And Greg Allen is knocking on that door. Keep an eye on Greg Allen. I, I honestly think he is the center fielder of the future. Uh, I know this is crazy, but uh, I think he really could be like uh, Kenny Lofton, like a uh, leadoff hitter, perfect guy at the top of the lineup. At least we're not selling them too short, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I know that I get a little overexcited sometimes about these prospects. No, I'm okay with that. This guy is a switch hitter with a crazy on-base rate, massive, uh, super quick, a lot of steals, and he's the best uh, defensive center fielder in all of minor league baseball. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Greg Allen, even though he's he finished last year in Double A and didn't play the whole season there, maybe not even half the season. I wouldn't be shocked if he made it onto the Indians roster at some point by the end of the season. Like if he plays as good as I think he's going to play. So one that I forgot too, uh, Michael Martinez. Can't forget him. Mm-hmm. He's the mix for the outfield. No center fielder. Uh, does have a minor league contract right now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I honestly I do think that the Indians can fill the gaps right now with their prospects. They have like, and Eric Gonzalez can play outfield. I don't know what if they'll want to do that. Uh, I, I view him more as an infield utility guy, but he can play outfield. So he's in the mix as well. But I think the main guy is is Yandy. Like, I, I'm really excited about Yandy. Yeah. So assuming nobody comes up, nobody else is signed, Jason, is what they have enough? Um, yeah. Those, those ones that I listed? Yes. What they have is enough. All they're losing from the, the year that they made Game 7 of the World Series is Rajay Davis. And he had a nice season. He was not the difference between them winning division and not winning the division. Uh, best case scenario, Michael Brantley comes back something close to form, and that's a huge addition. Uh, more likely scenario, he comes back but is not his old self, and the outfield is not fantastic. But the pitching is really good. The infield is really good. The Indians ought to be the best team in the division, whether they add anyone else to the outfield or not, which is good because they're not going to add anyone significant to the outfield. I know we already said that Edwin's going to prevent him from making big signings, but do you think there's any chance Rajai comes back? Because it doesn't seem like anybody really wants him. Maybe the Orioles kind of do, but does he get swept up on another cheap deal by the Indians, or do you think they can't even afford that right now? Uh, I mean, I think they could afford him on the deal he signed. I mean, someone's going to sign him for more than he got last year. I know it hasn't happened yet in week, but like spring training is also still six weeks away. Like there's someone's going to sign him. Yeah, I I agree. Somebody's going to sign him. And, and I don't know if the Indians want six guys that play exclusively outfield on their (laughs) roster at the same time. So I I think they're five is pushing it. And then, uh, they'll probably go five with a utility. So our final question, we'll wrap it up. Um, from at Ryan floor four on Twitter, he wants to know the best Indians pitcher of the following CC Sabathia, Corey Kluber, or Cliff Lee, Jason, I'll let you take this one first. If you want, uh, it's not Cliff Lee. I think Cliff Lee among those three guys, uh, is a pretty distant third place, which is not to say Cliff Lee didn't do a lot, but when you look at what Cliff Lee did for the Indians, I think a lot of what he did after he left the Indians gets included in people's memories. I mean, he had the the, side, the completely deserved Cy Young season, um, and, and a, you know, like another year and a half of really good performance. Uh, but I think Sabathia and Kluber are pretty clearly ahead of him. Uh, I would still put Sabathia on top, 
But I think if Kluber has one more year that's something like his last three years have been, uh, I think 2017 could be the year Kluber passes Sabathia. Yeah, and basically the only research I did on this question was what you talked about, Cliff Lee. Um, so his first six years with the Indians, he was worth a combined 8.1 fan grabs for. All of his value with the Indians came in the last year and a half right before he got traded. It was 10.2 mm-hmm. <laughs> in those last two years. Other than that, he was not – I mean, he was really good, but he wasn't the great Cliff Lee everybody associates with, I think. So my answer to, is going to be Kluber because he's Corey Kluber. Like if he has two more seasons like he has now, he's under contract to 2021, so he could do it. So if he has just a couple more seasons like he's had the past three, I think he's already passed Sabathia too. Uh, yeah, I yeah. will say right now, Sabathia, only because Corey Kluber has really only had three full seasons with the Indians. I mean, the first two were just small sample size, but he's had three really good seasons. And then the last two were like Cy Young. Well, the last three have were really good, but the th- He's really only had the three full seasons and yep. one that was maybe three quarters of a season. So if he, if he can go out and have one more really good season, I'd give, I'd get him past CC, but we had CC for a while. He won a Cy Young. He was kind of our, our, our workhorse during that stretch in the, the, the mid two thousands. So I've got CC against ahead of him right now, but if, if Kluber gives one more season like he did last year, then I think he passes him. And not, not that there's a single number that can tell this, and so I'm not claiming that's what Ward does, but just to kind of give some things some context, uh, if you use one version of War or another to compare these guys, uh, Sabathia had 27.5 at baseball reference, Kluber's at 18.9. That's a significant difference uh, of almost nine War. I mean, Kluber's not going to make that difference up this year, and it's pretty much the same at Fangraphs. Uh, baseball prospectus has him a lot closer. Sabathia is only two ahead of him there. Um, is that all with the Indians though? Or is that including after he left? No, yeah. Just with the oh, Indians. Okay. Wow. I didn't realize uh, the gap was that big, but you know, th- there's also wins above average. You know, a lot of Sabathia's value comes from, he's like you guys are saying, he, he spent a lot more time with the Indians, uh, wins above average sort of doesn't count anything. That's just kind of roughly average production. Uh, and Sabathia's only two wins above average ahead of Kluber. So Kluber's not going to catch Sabathia on war this year, maybe not in another two years, hopefully in another two years, but not necessarily. Uh, but one more good year, he'd be ahead of him in wins above average and pretty close to him on war. So for me, one more good year would do it, but I think Sabathia's still on top. Cliff Lee is number three on the list if we're talking, I guess the question was phrased as like best Indians pitchers of the 2000s, but I think he's a pretty distant third. Who do we actually put as number three then? If it's best Indians pitcher of the two thousands, is it like Carrasco? No, I think it's been good long enough. I think it is Lee, um, but I think he's pretty far back. I think Sabathia. I don't know Roberto Hernandez. Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> I think you mean Fausto Carmona. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> these you-, you can make a case that Carrasco deserves to be fourth at this point. If we were doing like a Indians two thousand starting rotation, I think Carrasco's probably in it. And then I don't know. You round that out with. Maybe Westbrook. Oh, yeah. I forgot about him. I'm sure a lot of people have. <laughs> but I think Sabathia and Kluber are much closer together among the three guys that were mentioned in the question. Yeah. And really, I mean, I think when you talk about who's better, Sabathia or Kluber, you're not ju- – I mean, that question – that's the same answer, I think, whether you're talking about Indians pitchers of the last 15 years or la- uh, last 40 years or so. I mean, there, it's not like there was someone uh, – you know, Nagy and Bartolo Colon would be up there – 
But I think Sabathia is the top guy, you know, going back to like Gaylord Perry's crazy short stint uh, when he put up just bonkers numbers with the Indians in the early 70s. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I was trying to think, like, there's nobody above Cliff Lee. You're right. Well, we just, we haven't had a ton of uh, dominant starters in that stretch. I mean, we had Cologne until we traded him, and then it was, yeah. it was a, uh, you know, it was a little rough. Uh, we, it was basically Sabathia. I mean, maybe you can throw in there Justin Masterson. He, he had a pretty good stretch for us. He was our opening day starter for like three years, but then, you know, he fell off the edge of the earth. <laughs> and and Masterson, I think he's still in Boston. Masterson's a weird case because he had like three good years with the Indians and then two really bad years with the Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's another guy also kind of – there's a big swing for him based on where you look. Uh, but he pitched like five years for the Indians. Baseball reference only has his time with the Indians worth seven wins. Yeah. Uh, so they've got him pretty far back of those other guys. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like thinking back, I remember, I must only remember the good times for Justin Masterson. Cause I remember really liking him. And then I go look at his stats and like, yeah, Oh, that wasn't as good as I remember. But yeah, I remember liking watching Masterson. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is kind of speaking of Fausto, Roberto, Hernandez Carmona. There's this YouTube channel that I'm sure illegally uploads like old games. And there's one from, whoops, one from like 2008 or 2009 or something. Whenever Roberto or whenever it was still Fausto, they were, he was like walking a ton of batters against the Tigers and they were talking about, he's going to be an ace. He's going to get those walks down. And I was like, no, (laughs) no, he's not. We want that to happen, but it's not going to happen at all. It's going to be the opposite. That was fun. Those YouTube channels are the best. I'm sure they're very illegal and I very shouldn't promote them, but. Like they leave the commercials in and everything. So like watching eighties games is a lot of fun. I don't know. I like that old stuff and I use it as background noise. It's really cool. So I think that's all our questions. We had quite a few. There's a couple extras, but we're getting, we're pushing an hour here. So, so yeah, Brian, thanks for joining us. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And I'm looking forward to prospect chat tomorrow where I will be debuting my top 10 prospect ranking. Oh yeah. And then you can always find Jason or Jason. You can find Jason on let's go tribe too, but as mentioned, you can find Brian. You're going to be doing a lot of the uh, the prospect, the vote posts and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So we'll be seeing your name a lot more. You get to make all those fun polls every day. <laughs> I'm looking forward to fun. it. Yep. Jason, anything else that you're fun doing? Anything? What? Anything else fun that you're doing in the next week? Uh, I'm on my, my second week of winter break, so that's fun. But uh, I've got uh, a crib to assemble, a changing table to assemble, a rug to go get. I've, I've got a baby's room to put together, so that's going to be most of my week. Did you enjoy your last semi-quiet holiday? Uh, yeah, I did. I got sick like two days after Christmas, so that was oh, fun. fun. But Christmas was fun, New Year's was good, the in-between was a little hippie. So before I mention the next thing, are you guys still down for doing the post-show thing? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So everybody's listening live now. I'm going to say goodbye here in a minute, but I am a liar. That's the goodbye for the podcast. The music's going to play for them and everything. They're going to be gone. It's going to shut off. It's going to go to their music, whatever they're listening to. But if you're here live, we're going to talk about Star Wars, because we all finally saw Rogue One. I was probably the last one to see it. I saw it the day after Christmas, I think. I know Jason saw it the night of. I'm sure, Brian, you probably saw it pretty I saw it opening weekend on Saturday, (laughs) and then I watched it again after Christmas with my brother and sister. So we were all waiting for me, but now we're going to finally watch it. And everybody's not listening live. If you do want to hear it, maybe I'll do it as like an extra on the podcast stream. But at the very least, it'll be on our YouTube page, which we don't have a custom URL yet. But go on YouTube, search Let's Go Tribe, and you'll find us. Um, But yeah, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, We will talk to you next week.